like Vishnu is saying to him uh, that from now on you'll be able to see me every day with my club in the hand uh, in Sutala Loka. So this is like Vamana connection. Then it's, of course, uh, Nishimha connection. And there is his uh, Ishtadevata Krishna. So I'm just like wondering what is like ultimate, how he will end up, which mm -hmm. of this is him. Well, I think he has different uh, positions, um, but um, as far as ultimate destination, he is depicted as being in Dasyarasa in Vaikuntha. Now in Vaikuntha, Bhagavan shows different faces hmm, to different devotees. Sometimes it's depicted as different Vaikuntha lokas or planets presided over by the different faces of Bhagwan, or sometimes it's depicted as, as one locus, if you will, one place, and Bhagwan Narayan shows himself differently there to different devotees at different times. <clears throat> um, as far as Prahlad's ex precise experience, I guess we'd have to go there to find out, but um, his... Um, destination in a sense is his Taibhav and he's depicted in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as being in Dasirasa. Hmm. Does that help? He may yeah. also appear in other places and you know, in other ways uh, and so forth but this is his relationship with Bhagavan. Now Pujapatshidamars described him in terms of Shantarasa once by referring to Brihat Bhagavatamrita and the fact that um, in that um, first canto of Brihat Bhagavatamrita, when Nard goes to visit Prahlad, Prahlad laments that he has no direct service. He's just meditating upon, um, upon God. Um, Whereas da, uh, Hanuman is actively involved, you know, in, in service to Ramchandra and so forth, but um, the idea that he would be in, in Shantaras per se um, is contradicted, as they say, by Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and there he's celebrated as a devotee in Dasaras. So that, and you know, there's another another point could be raised that different devotees have seen. And you considered him in, in, in different ways and each of their considerations is, con is conclusive. It doesn't necessarily, uh, it may be different opinions, but each opinion isn't necessarily wrong opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's nothing wrong about it that he couldn't possibly be something like that. But I, I think we tend to think of him in, 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 uh, in Dasirasa. In Vaikuntha. Another question? Let's try Sean again. Sean, can you try again? Huh? Can you hear me now? <laughs> can't hear anything. You can't hear anything. Um, Sean, do you, could you type your question to me? Um, and then we'll just move on to someone else and then I can read the question. Okay, that you. works. Okay. Indra? Hare Krishna, Pranam. Um, I also have two mini questions um, from yesterday. 
it was like super amazing yesterday. Um, so I was just wondering if you could kind of like confirm or I was just wondering if you heard the same story that, um, you know, there's like the, you know, Ugraha form and there's also like a apparently more sweeter form um, of Nara Singha. And I heard, I heard um, that um, uh, Hiranya Kashipu actually didn't die because, you know, his guts were just like ripped, ripped out. But that Nara Singha was like um, bending over and he was actually smiling and he was just like, you know, giving his loving glance to Hiranya Kashipu and Hiranya Kashipu just couldn't handle this love. And that's why he died. So I just wanted to ask you if you heard something similar or where this could come from. Never heard anything like that before. Okay. <laughs> not, not written in any commentary that I'm aware of, so. Okay, okay. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah. but I would, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't depict the, the quote unquote angry form of Nishinga as not being <laughs> sweet. I think there's a, there's a sweetness there um, that exceeds the overtly sweet um, side or face of Nishinga. Um, because of his, what he's showing there is his, his bhaktavatsali, his, his commitment to his devotees, his affection to his devotees, just like Krishna uh, was um, was very much desired by Bhishma Dev. <laughs> Krishna would break his promise in, in the Mahabharata war and pick up a weapon and fight to save Arjuna. He wanted to see that sweetness of that, that commitment of Bhagawan that he would even, because he had promised not to take up a weapon, but that he would be Arjuna's chariot driver. But when Bhishma overwhelmed Arjuna and was about to defeat him, then Krishna came to his rescue by picking up a broken wheel from his chariot as a weapon. I mean, it was not a weapon officially, but he was wielding it as a weapon. And this is what Bhishma thought was the most, most sweet. Another example is Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur <clears throat> would sometimes become very apparently angry and his face would become flush and red and pound his fist on the table with regard to some uh, conclusive point as to what Gaudiya Vaishnavism was really about in comparison to how it was misrepresented on that particular point. And again, at this time, his, his face would become flush and some of the devotees would be a little scared. But Shudamar said, then I knew the meaning of Lotus face. So he saw very much sweetness in that, in his commitment, you know, to, to an adherence to um, that which would bring about the um, auspic most auspiciousness in everyone's life. And strict adherence to the teachings of Rupa Goswami and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So anyway, he's sweet. What was your other question? Yeah, um, um, my second question um, is also something I heard, um, which I want you to um, kind of just like smash probably, um, is that, okay, I know that, you know, we don't talk so much about the disappearance um, of, you know, like, you know, personalities. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still kind of wondering, what about, is there any mention of the disappearance 
appearance of like Nada Singer and what I heard, um, which you can, you know, um, confirm or not, is that Nada Singha flew to Mayapur to wash his hands in the river because they were all bloodied. And but like I don't know if it's true, so maybe you could confirm that too. Or yeah, smash that, it. Yeah, I think Bhakti Vinod Thakur has written about that. And, uh, and there's a place, and I mentioned it yesterday in Mayapur in Godrum, the Shingapali, where that um, Leela is, is celebrated. Hmm. And that's the island, Godrum, that represents Kirtan. And Kirtan is very dear to Nishingadev. And as I said, his favorite instrument is the Murdanga that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used in, in St. Kirtan. So that story, we, uh, we, we accept that one. And, yes. and where is the book or where is the, the text? Navadweep Dham Mahatmya, Bhakti Vinodatakur. You can find it there. There may be other references as well, but Bhakti Vinod Thakur, one of the um, um, contributions, unique contributions of Bhakti Vinod Thakur was his, his uncovering, if you will, the, the, uh, the Dham of Navadweep. I saw someone, I um, heard someone had argued that uh, it was inappropriate to refer to Bhakti Vinodhakura as the seventh Goswami because there are so many great sadhus between the six Goswamis and Bhakti Vinodhakura. And by referring to Bhakti Vinodhakura as the seventh Goswami, we're dismissing all of them as if they're lesser. I didn't think it was a very good argument at all. The idea that Bhakti Vinodhakura was referred to by a prominent um, journalist and uh, Hindu and Gaudiya advocate, if you will, um, uh, referred to as the seventh Goswami is, uh, yes, it's not a title, if you will, it's coming from directly within The Gaudiya Sampradaya issued by a, by a senior or something like that. But the name or the, or the title, if you will, or the reference is appropriate given the nature of his contribution. So just, just something that's coming to my mind uh, as I answer your, your other question. He, the Goswamis were tasked by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, among other things, to excavate the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan that had been lost over time. So they went there and they experienced the pastimes and then kings were inspired and princes and they built gods and temples and monuments there, which you go now and you see these buildings and kunds, uh, uh, ponds and so forth and so on commemorating the pastimes, or these were pointed out by the Goswamis. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is described in Chaitanya Charitamrita went to Vrindavan, there was, a, he found Radhakund and Shamkund, which the local people had, didn't identify as such. And, and eventually they were excavated further and developed into this condition that they are, are today. So this is one of the things that the Goswamis did and they were commissioned by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to do that. And also to write 
uh, extensively on um, um, Bhakti Shastras, if you will. And so these are two things that Bhakti Vinodhaka was doing 500 years later, but, in, but with regard to the Dham in relation to Navadweep, which hadn't been done by anyone else. He was excavating the places of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastime. And his two books, Navadweep Dham Mahat, you know, and Navadweep Bhavataranga, are examples of that. Um, his founding of the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, another example. So this is some, something that he did that parallels what the Goswamis did. And then he wrote, you know, over a hundred books, if we include all his poems and everything like that, very prolific and reaching out um, to the modern world and giving Gaudiya Vaishnavism, um, uh, extending it to quarters that previously it had, it had never, um, never touched which is what the Goswamis did in the beginning way also. So there, there's a parallel. It's not to say that he's greater than everybody else or everybody's lesser or nobody's saying that, just as a point to consider here. But the, the kind of contribution that he made has a parallel with the contribution of the Goswamis, a new beginning to Gaudiya Vaishnavism and bringing it out of some of the ashes of, 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 of um, where it had, uh, um, been lying, so to speak, such that, well, intellectual and pious Hindus would speak of the British had no interest in it, it because it was so much, so much being misrepresented. But anyway, in that book, Navri Damahatna, you should try to get that book. It's very nice. There you'll find the, the, the story of Nishimadev coming there, and, and you find Bhaktivinoda's poem there. Maybe the poem may be in Navri Bhavataranga, but. Both books good. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Um, Okay, so Sean wrote his question in the chat. Um, so he says, Hare Krishna, thank you for your time today. I was curious if radical politics fit into Krishna consciousness and are appropriate. The of way what? I look at it. Um, curious about and, what? So curious um, if radical politics fit into Krishna consciousness and are appropriate. The way I look at it is that the planet was created by Krishna and um, it is our device to protect it. Um, I look at it as a service to Krishna. Thank you again for your time, Maharaj. Well, uh, there's some pretty bizarre forms of radic radical politics that um, I, I, don't, I don't think are very um, um, good for people or the planet. So um, I would say that there are policies, which is related to politics, if you will, policies that um, if the earth was governed by them, it would be more conducive place for uh, the purpose of human life as we see it, which is to attain uh, Krishna consciousness, God consciousness. Um, and 
there is a place then for devotees who are so disposed, somewhat driven by Rajaguna. Rajaguna is the guna that uh, motivates one to improve on material conditions. Hmm? Um, the sattvic perspective is more one that, well, what can you do? It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But what is it? What is the earth today? What will it be tomorrow? The whole universe will, you know, go back into Mahavishnu and so forth. So it's it doesn't motivate one in the same way. Pujapati Shudamaraj once said, the World War Three, you know, let it be. Well, yeah, that, is, that is a certain perspective that that's uh, broad, but then it, it, you might not say that if it started <laughs> and it was in your face, so to speak. Um, and so there, there, there would be a, there's a place for devotees um, uh, who are, you know, more driven by that, if you will, uh, than they are as by a comprehensive solution to the problem of material existence um, through exclusive bhajan. Um, rather than that, to be engaged in activities that uh, would make the world a, uh, relatively speaking, a better place, more conducive for um, spiritual life. Mm -hmm. So policies like that, political perspective like that, Prabhupada once uh, uh, tried to establish a political party. Uh, it was named In God We Trust. Mm -hmm in his International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So he had some scope for that. Um, um, and there were some devotees who were disposed towards that. It didn't work out and he canceled it. Um, mostly because the political system is so complex and so consuming and so expensive uh, to get involved in it and get somewhere, he found in a meaningful way, for example, for one of his disciples to become elected as the president, what they would have to do and how they would have to conduct themselves would be such a distraction from the basic practices that um, um, he engaged them in and the focus that he thought better they become Krishna conscious than, than uh, lose sight of Krishna consciousness in the name of spreading Krishna consciousness. Um, that's where he saw it going. So he canceled it. But um, obviously we find, um, you know, in the Bhagavatam, great kings like Yudhisthira Maharaj, Maharaj Parikshit and so forth who were Krishna conscious and um, had political perspectives, if you will, that they put in place policies that uh, were more conducive than other regimes, if you will. So in a broad sense, you know, there's a place for that. Practically speaking, well, um, I think that uh, there certainly is a lifestyle that speaks by its example uh, to, to others as to how um, 
one should conduct oneself in the world or how if the world were conducted as such, it would be a better place. And every devotee has some role in that by setting an, an example. Um, but to get involved politically um, is, uh, it, it may be a noble kind of a, um, um, calling, if you will, but I think it's, it, would be, it would be very uh, difficult. I mean, the world is just it's getting to be about like Humpty Dumpty here. Um, so it fell off the wall. And uh, uh, as the poem goes, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the people and all the whatever couldn't put Humpty together again. So uh, good, good luck with that. Um, Otherwise, we have a radical political perspective, for example, with regard to the environment, with regard to diet, um, the, the, the radical perspectives. And, um, but then again, you, you know, you, 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 what you find in the uh, community, international community of, of persons who affiliate themselves religiously with Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a wide perspective of of uh, political pers um, persuasions um, because within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you're going to have those who have a very fundamentalist orientation. Their faith is weak, so they re it requires an enemy um, and uh, they can espouse political policies that uh, really contradict the heart of Gaudiya Vaishnavism to be, you know, homophobic, for example, uh, and you can find devotees like that. Um, that's a form of radical politics, which is probably, which is, uh, it, it contradicts the, the very compassionate nature of, uh, of uh, what spiritual life and Gaudiya Vaishnavism is all about, obviously. So, it, you know, it, it's a kind of a, you know, with, without hearing further from me, what you mean by radical politics, I'm assuming you mean um, um, that you're not homophobic, for example. Uh, just to use one, one, one example. Uh, and again, that's a form of radical politics. So, uh, you know, whether you should you know, here's another form of radical politics, right? Going out and and um, blowing up uh, lumber yards uh, because uh, you know they're they're um, cutting down too many trees, and you have a political environmental perspective. I, I wouldn't recommend uh, such things. Um, uh, that kind of radical. Um, Earth First is a famous U.S.-based radical environmentalist political-oriented group. I don't necessarily disagree with their radical environmental perspective, but the way they go about 
trying to um, implement it, or it's kind of a past tense group, but it comes to mind. They were violent. And uh, so, you know, it's a very kind of a loaded word, radical politics. But again, uh, in a broad sense, there's a place for devotees who are more, more drawn towards the world and the here and now in their Krishna consciousness than they are in attaining that ideal of Krishna consciousness that may cause them to be more socially uh, active and feel called upon hmm, for kind of a social activist, if you will, uh, Vaishnava perspective. There's a place for that. Hmm? Um, but it only goes so far. Um, but 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 we shouldn't discourage persons who have that type of uh, persuasion and leaning within the context of Gaudi Vaishnavism, because it's where they're at at the moment, and it's it's not it's not a bad thing. I mean, um, between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda, Prabhu Nityananda, who had more of a social activist perspective. Uh, um, and he was the first, uh, you know, Hindu uh, uh, Democrat, so to speak, uh, you know, advocate of democracy, um, doing away with hierarchy and class and uh, and, and so forth. Um, and and uh, you find amongst his associates some social activism in the form of feeding the poor or and uh, during the famines. Udharanatta Thakur was uh, famous for this and providing housing for people um, and so forth. So it, where Mahaprabhu was, was speaking to Brahmins and intellectuals as a sannyasin. So they were working on two different uh, levels, so to speak. And again, there are great Vaishnavas who are uh, have more of a worldly uh, orientation as king or you know, whatever their role may be. So uh, uh, there's a place for it, of course, but you know it only goes so far. You have to see it like that. Vasudev, um, the leper, who was a Vaishnava, was found by Mahaprabhu, and he was concerned to um, take. He wanted to take the karma of everyone in the world, hmm? so that they would all be delivered. Hmm? So he had a worldly orientation, <laughs> but he was a leper, and when he had opened sores on his body and worms were feeding off the sores and if they would fall off, he would put them back on. So he said, that's a worldly orientation. <laughs> he thought, I have a quite radical too. Oh, my body is a place of feeding for these worms, you know, but obviously he was transcendent to it, but still he had his worldly perspective, save the world, if you will, right? Even at the cost of my own liberation. Mahaprabhu was very pleased with his compassion, but he told him it was a little impractical. He said, if this uh, universe should evaporate, it would be like losing, you know, one goat out of a herd or, you know, thousands or something like that. 
and there are so many others. And he 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 he, he took Vasudev's kind of like this much much broader perspective of what existence, even material existence, constitutes. Um, so different ways of looking at it, but um, I wouldn't, uh, you know, discourage you from for being involved in wanting to make the world a better place and a more Krishna conscious place and so forth. How far you can get with it? Well, you know, it's difficult. It's 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 difficult to really have a to have the kind of influence that. Uh, could, uh, I mean, you could be the president of the United States and not be able to do anything, practically. Hmm. Uh, not even implement any of the policies that that you want. So it's uh, it's 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 difficult. But I think that you're speaking from a compassionate perspective that that should be lauded hmm. and encouraged. So without further hearing from what exactly you mean, that's. That's uh, my answer for today. I hope it helps. And Sean, I don't think I've heard from you before. Where are you from? Where are you? You can just type it in the chat, Sean, since uh, we can't hear you. Do you see the chat, Rudy? Uh, look at it now. It's the Bay Area. He's in the Bay Area. Okay, yeah. well, me too. Please make it a better, make it a better place. Try. Okay. Um, there's like a lot of questions now. Um, so I'm scrolling up. Uh, Sajan, do you want to ask your question? Thank you, Didi. Dandavats Maharaj. Um, I, I love what you were speaking about compassion. Um, because prior to Mahaprabhu's appearance in the world and Nityananda Prabhu, the, um, the exemplar uh, of compassion was Lord Buddha, and today happens to be his appearance day. Uh, Vesak, it's, his way, it's called Vesak, and it's, it's celebrated internationally as not only his appearance day, but also um, there's a celebration of his enlightenment and also his his Tirubhav, his departure from the world as well, all mm. three. So I was, I was just wondering if you had uh, any comments about uh, our Lord's appearance as Lord Buddha today? Well, there are different um, perspectives on that. Of course, he's mentioned in the Bhagavatam. So um, um, I think that... Um, he, uh, from the Vaishnava perspective, um, he made an important uh, contribution, right? Yes. And uh, sought to uh, shift the focus away from uh, ritualistic uh engagement in religious life in pursuit of uh, material acquisition, which was the prominent face of Hinduism that he was confronted with. He was a Hindu Buddha. Yes. Um, and um, 
and r rather than emphasize the Upanishadic perspective, he just kind of stepped away from it, all the sacred books. And I, I think it was because of the way which he saw the um, adherence to the books had become fanatical without a sense of their import um, and so on and so forth. Uh, and um, it certainly uh, created a uh, very large uh, following, very compelling person. His method was to sit, sat underneath the tree, pretty easy to do. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I think that um, there's good evidence if you want it um, for his, um, perspective on the Atma and God that corresponds with the way it's looked at in Hinduism amongst, amongst the Ghanis. Um, although the majority of the Buddhist sects look at it differently. And uh, I published a couple articles on that, on the Harmonist, um, looking at the Pali Canon and so forth, citing other Buddhists who agree. Um, with uh, the idea that Buddha's um, no self and not entertaining questions about God, um, that they're similar to his response to questions about beginnings, um, how I got here, uh, uh, and so on and so forth, which, all of which he just said that, that, that those aren't the right questions. Let's focus on the on the questions that are pertinent. Um, well, you're, you, the question is, why am I suffering? Hmm? That your suffering is not in doubt. Why are you suffering? Well, just look at it real closely. It's because of your, your thirsting for things. Krishna is thirst for things. This causes dukkha. This is very practical. So he just had a really like, you know, like let's just <laughs> focus it right here. Forget a lot of these metaphysical questions and so forth. Um, his example is, well, if you get shot by an arrow and you want to know who shot me, you know, before you pull it out, you, know, you might die in the process. So he was very pragmatic in his approach. Um, and what he's advocating is, is exactly what we find in the Gita. Dukkalaya, what is it? Uh, um, that 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 uh, uh, attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. This is a statement of Krishna in the Gita, poetic statement, um, and this is the philosophy of the Buddha. So he just held it there. He didn't want to go any further. Now people will will interpret his not going further as to say he was denying other things, but. Um, there's a perspective, but I think it's more correct um, that he was pragmatic, not entertaining other questions in order to focus on questions which were more, more pertinent to, if answered properly, the progress of persons by which they could understand things, answers to questions that they had that weren't worth giving attention to at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so he's a very, very pragmatic um, person. So therefore he had more of a strategy 
than a theological or than, than, than a metaphysical, you know, principle. There's no self. After all, he had to teach that the, the self, thinking I'm man or woman or Indian or black or white or whatever it may be the case, that this self is false. So he just wanted to teach that this self is false. Is there a real self? Let's not ask about that. Let's just dissect this this uh, this false self. Was his um, his consistently that, that was his um, approach, and it was um, effective. Hmm? Um, and if you don't look at the Buddha in this way, hmm, then you have a difficult time in uh, being pluralistic in your uh, spiritual perspective. In other words, if you insist that the reality is there's no God, there is no self, hmm, then you have to dismiss Shankar, Ramanuja, all these people who have the same qualities, at least of the Buddha also, where do they get them? If, they're, if what they're doing is false, if their belief in a God, Narayan, or a self, the Atma, uh, is false, how is it producing the same type of symptoms that we find in the Buddha? Unless you look at it the way I explained earlier, that his talk about was provisional, you can't have a pluralistic outlook. You, be, you have to become we're right and everybody else is wrong. But if you compare notes between the Buddha and Shankar and the Buddha and Chaitanya, well, it looks like they were on the same page about a lot of things. They were, they were deep experiencers. How could they have experienced deeply and be so renounced from the world, otherworldly other in their experience, if those who were theistic in their perspective were wrong and there is no God? So... I think there's a strong argument for that, for the theism of the Buddha, covert theist, if you will. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah also, I, I personally uh, had the opportunity to ask uh, one very, what I would consider like an awakened uh, Buddhist uh, teacher, contemporary. <laughs> and and um, I directly asked him, I said, there's a principle called the Chintya Beda Beda Tattva. Um, in, in Hinduism, and uh, it means uh, inconceivable simultaneous oneness with variety, not, not discounting the diversity or the plurality that you mentioned. And I said, uh, what do you think about that? And he said, that is the truth. He, he directly said, that is the truth. One thing that, that's diverse in the way he expresses himself, that's God. He's one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're one of his we're one of his expressions and each one of us is a little different. Yes. Okay. Thank you for the question. Thank Jai. you. Thank you. Shibuda, Jai. Um Jai. Uh, so Abai has a question, um, but he just typed it out. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. Um so he says, I was wondering about how in Madhva Sampradaya, they mentioned the three types of souls um, with some seeming to be in 
with some seeming to be ineligible for spiritual life. I know that is not the view in our Sampradaya, but is it correct that if we see Madhva's angle of vision um, as a different angle of perfect spiritual vision? And if so, do we have an official position on his view of the Gaudiya Sampradaya? I find it really unsettling to think that some souls would not have the opportunity for spiritual life, which is why I asked this question. Well, Madhva doesn't have a perspective on Gaudi Vaishnavism because Madhva uh, preceded Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. Um, so our perspective, Gaudi perspective with regard to Madhva um, is that ours is a development further of the idea of Madhva. We sometimes refer to our lineage as the Madhva Gaudiya Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. So uh, from that point of view, we find that uh, Madhva um, uh, is thought to have a connection with Vyas, who is an incarnation of, of, of God, and um, that his Madhva doctrine was approved, but that um, uh, when we say Brahma Madhva, so uh, Krishna enlightened Brahma, and now later Krishna in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was appearing in the Madhva Sampradaya, and therefore we call it the, the Gaudi, the Chaitanya Madhva Sampradaya, and he's giving, he's improving on the, the metaphysic of Madhva. Hmm? Same Krishna who started it, hmm? he's improving on it. Um, and so those aspects of the Madhva Sampradaya that we find hard to relate to, um, they should as well, and, and they should, you know, as our perspective, and embrace Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's um, improvement. As far as the specific, specific doctrine, um, Madhva's is not the only Vaishnava Sampradaya that has a, uh, it has the idea that there are, uh, to use Balabha's terms, samsara and jivas. So some jivas to remain in samsara. Uh, it's odd from our perspective, yes. Um, uh, the way that Madhva looks at that is with reference to the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, that uh, they're, they're, he, I think he's describing the divine and the demonic in one of the later chapters. And um, maybe maybe 17th chapter or 16th chapter, I forget. And he says, uh, I've placed them in demonic wombs life after life, hmm? those who have these qualities and so forth. So he looks at that reference and says, well, this means life after life, they're, they're opposed to Bhagwan. Hmm? They're doing these things, so life after life, he places them in, and in, 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 in therefore we can call them, you know, that type of jiva who's never going to get out of material existence. Now you can look at it and you can say, well, is it Bhagwan's fault, or is it they just keep doing this? And so he, so he responds in that way, or the nature responds in that way. He approves it, Paramatma approves it, and therefore you could call him 
samsara and jivas who always stay here, but is it his fault or is it their fault? Um, so you, you could look at it like that and, and then say, okay, it's not wrong for saying that, but to interpret that to mean that God created some jivas who could never get out of material existence would, would not you know, be the way to in, interpret that. In other words, why they're placed in demonic wombs life after life, well, you know, what we say is that that's true, but if they get bad enough, like a Kamsa, then Krishna comes and liberates them himself. <laughs> and they become the enemies of Krishna in his own, in his own Leela. Um, and we see that in, in, in Krishna. So Madhva didn't take it that far, but Chaitanya Vaishnavism does. I mean, that's a, a simple way of, of thinking about it. But I, I think it's important at the same time to emphasize that when you try to construct a philosophy and answer all the questions about everything, let's take, you know, the question of the Atma, the nature of the Atma, which is relative to your question. Are there different kinds of Atmas or are all the Atmas the same? Are the differences only because of karma or there are intrinsic differences between Atmas? Well, if you say they're all the same, you have to think, well, if they're all the same, there's no difference between them. Then, then, then there's only one. <laughs> because if you're, if you're completely the same as another, if there are two things that are exactly the same, then they're not different. Hmm. Then you don't have two things, you have one. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the, to talk about uh, consciousness, we can define it, we can explain the nature of the jiva according to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and even within that, there are different interpretations of, you know, for example, uh, the, uh, the founding Acharya's perspective on it as it comes in Sanskrit texts like the Sandarvas. There may be different interpretations of that. Aside from that, well, Madhva has a different interpretation. Uh, Balaba has a different interpretation. Um, Mbarka has a different interpretation. It's not that when Balaba becomes a, a Balabi, follower of the Balaba Samaritan becomes enlightened, they go, oh, right, Jiva Goswami had it right the whole time. <laughs> They're just ways of talking about these, 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 these things. Um, that things that subjects that transcend really the limits of talking about them. Hmm? So um, they, they can be taken a little bit less, uh, I wanna say literally at times or uh, um, um, I don't, let me just say I don't fault Mud for, for trying to talk about it like that based on the Bhagavad Gita, but here we come with another, well, there's another way to look at that. Okay, and we could talk about it like this, and, and then we go forward, there'll be another way to talk about it as well. Philosophy itself, and you're citing a philosophy of Madhva, is a way of trying to put into words something that transcends the limits of language and so forth. So you're going to find holes in it, problems with it here and there as a, in a larger context, it's useful, helpful, um, so on and so forth. Um, and it, it turns into a belief system that's, that's, that's fruitful, if you will. Um, 
but there you, you can pick a different belief system like Gaudi Vaishnavism or Vallabhas, and it can still be fruitful in, in achieving their ends, even while they differ on the, 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 these points. And neither of the differences necessarily completely capture the, re, uh, the reality in as much as, well, Bhaktivinotakura himself included philosophy along with things like history and other topics that are relative. Hmm? So uh, I hope that helps, but no Godis can relate to that idea that there are, for example, Thomasic Jivas that never get out of material existence because we, we, learn, we learn otherwise. And, but I mean, you know, you'd have to talk to a madhva hmm? And they'll give you an explanation that was this sound, sound more reasonable and feasible. And they say, well, you know, you tell me, you know, uh, this guy keeps doing this, you know, and he gets some scars for that, which perpetuate the same type of activity, then he's going to stay in material world, you know, forever. Could there be divine intervention? Well, that's another topic hmm? that changes the, the, that, that, that uh, death spiral, if you will. Yeah, okay, you can't say no to that. Therefore, okay, they can be liberated. Well, yeah, it, you know, he, so he might say like that. But, so those are some thoughts on it. But I, I haven't you know, ever spoken with a Madhva, hmm, Vaishnav, and it would be interesting to do so and really, you know, try to bring out their, their thinking. And I know a little bit about it and I've cited, for example, reference to the Gita and so forth. But Madhva is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, a great soul. To say that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu talked about it better, well, that, that doesn't make him really less. I think we have, okay. oh, so go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. I'm done. Yeah, I think I ran into a Madhva. Um, devotee at like a madhva sampradaya person at whole foods one time <laughs> so there's there's like a few here which is interesting um, lucky for you uh okay um let's see um okay. i see a question here from from Garimnath. Garimnath. He says, it is said that Lord Narayan told Lord Shiva to take birth in Kali Yuga as a Brahman and preach against Krishna consciousness. When Krishna wants to go, wants us to go back to him, why would he give such an order? I think that's uh, inaccurate. It said some Puranas that uh, Narayan asked Shiva to preach in such a way as to move people from what was considered Gnostic Buddhism because it denied the Vedas, um, take them in the direction of the Vedas um, and preach a covert form of Buddhism. So they're very close and similar Advaita Vedanta in Buddhism, so Shiva appeared as this, this is the theory as Shankar to talk to Buddhists in such a way that they would embrace the Veda. 
again on a mystic level, on, a, on the level of gyan rather than a karma and ritual. And um, as much as Buddha was taking people away from meaningless ritual in the name of adhering to the Veda, and throughout the Veda, Shankar was to, Shiva was to come and take them from Buddhism to back to the to the Veda, but from a gyan or gyan orientation. Um, that's 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 the idea. Um, so you, you you look at it like this: from Buddha to Shankar, then what did Ramanuja do? Well, he took it to to a theistic perspective, and and all this is going on in Kali Yuga, and these are different speakers all waiting for the main event, which is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. Krishna himself is coming and lays it out, you know, and there are aspects of the teachings of all of these persons in his teachings and something more, the Prema Dharma. So, um, yes, so it's said that Shankar was, Shiva was asked to preach atheism. He didn't, wasn't supposed to preach against Krishna consciousness or Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Gaudiya Vaishnavism wasn't even manifest in the world. Ramanuja, Sri Vaishnavism wasn't manifest in the world. Hmm? Madhva's uh, perspective wasn't manifest in the world. So uh, if you look at it historically, then um, you can see a progression through these different uh, teachers uh, who taught according to time and circumstance. Madhva was a radical uh, who took it from the, the Advaita perspective to the Dwaita perspective. Then Ramanuja came and said, well, let's make it the Dwaita, Dwaita, Vishishta Advaita. Let's make it a Dwaita, but let's call it Vishishta Advaita. Advaita with some differentiation and so on and so forth. So, um, but Buddha was, Shiva was told to preach, uh, you, know, you know, a form of atheism in a sense. Yes, that's true, but only a muted form of that. Buddha was a Gnostic. He didn't accept the Veda. Shankar accepted the Veda. That makes that that doesn't make him a Gnostic, but he didn't emphasize the eternality of God. But um, it's going. He's taking it step by step. So these are thought to be like historically speaking, epic periods of time that were predominated by the teachings of very extraordinary persons. Who had a strategy for preaching according to the time and the circumstance. That's usually how it's thought about. I hope that helps. You're free to respond uh, if there's something I'm missing or something else that uh, you'd like me to address in relation to that. Well, I'm not hearing anybody. Uh, um, so I actually Sajjan has a follow-up question. Um, yeah, okay. He just responded. Who has a follow-up question? Sajjan, can you ask your question, Sajjan? Thank you. Thank you, Didi. Maharaj, you know, um, it's interesting that there is this, uh, there is an idea, you know, quite prevalent that, uh, Adi Shankaracharya was against Krishna consciousness, but there is like mm. enormous, enormous literature by Adi Shankar, uh, stotrams and prayers to Krishna and his Vrindavan Leela specifically, very, very specifically mentioning Sri Radha in the Jagannath Ashtakam, etc., like mm. that. 
There's the Govindashtakam, the Achyutashtakam, the Krishnashtakam, and also another set of prayers to Krishna's form is Panduranga, um, like that. So it's, it, again, I, I, I deeply appreciate your um, dispelling that misconception about Adi Shankar being against Krishna consciousness, like that. How could Shiva be against Krishna? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The guardian right. of the holy dam. <laughs> That's right. Gopishwar, Mahadev, Kijai. Kijai. All right, so he had different roles at different times, different purposes, but they're, they're seen in the broader perspective, then there's no, there's no issue. All right, well, we're out of time now. So um, nice to speak with you. I'll say a few words for the moment. Today is Radha Raman's appearance day. Yesterday was in the Shinga Chaturdasi. It said that Gopal Bhatta, to whom Radharaman manifest, uh, did so out of the meditation and lamentation of Gopal Bhatta Goswami, who the day before his appearance, which was the Shinga Chaturdasi before Radharaman's appearance, was lamenting that um, he didn't. He was meditating on Prahlad Maharaj and his his meditation and how out of a stone, Krishna in the form of Mishinga appeared before him. And he had these shilas, but he didn't have a deity like Rupa Goswami's Radha Govinda, for example, to dress and decorate and so forth. We wished he could have one. And so Radha the next day manifest out of the stone like Mishinga Dev and uh, appeared before him. Yeah. Radha Raman is supposed to, Raman is there and Radha is also there somehow in the form of Radha Raman, which is then thought to be the, the reappearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu giving darshan to Gopal Bhatta as he said he would and apparently didn't, but he did so in this form, very special form of uh, the Archa avatar in Yodhi Vaishnavas and Radha Raman the original deity of one of the six Goswamis, the only original deity of them. It's still in um, in Vrindavan today and nicely worshiped there. Radharamanji ki jai, Gopal Bhatta Goswami ki jai, Gaud Bhaktivinda ki jai, Gaud Premanandam Haribo. Thank you so much, Guru, for your time today. Yeah. And your answers, as always. Um, okay. So I'm just going to do some announcements. Um, okay, yeah. So um, on Tuesdays, uh, Ashram Maharaj is giving class, Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 5, Acting with Detachment. And then on Thursdays, um, Shamananda is giving class, Gaudiya Vaishnavism in Numbers. And uh, then on Fridays, Indranuja is giving class um, transitions on the journey of the devotee. And on Sundays, we're back here for the Q&A. Um, okay, I'll see you all. <laughs>